1: off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Before this episode begins, I want to personally invite you to become a socio. It means member, shareholder. It means you join us and support us. Every month, we produce one exclusive big interview and a documentary special all for our socios. Sign up now patreon.com forward slash graham hunter that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash graham hunter and you'll not only get this month's shows but also unlock our entire beautiful archive go to patreon.com forward slash graham hunter to become one of our growing and much-loved army of socios
3: Okay, welcome to the Big Inside View Champions League preview special. Um, we've got some brilliant last 16 second leg ties this week. Graeme Hunter, I put it to you that the first leg of these fixtures two weeks ago, UV Spurs, Porto Liverpool and Real PSG, I think this is one of the best Champions League weeks in recent memory. Incredible excitement, technique, goals. Uh, it was just like an absolute feast you're selling candy
2: to a kid, and you know it because these are the weeks that, um, professionally at least, I live for. Um, there's something intoxicating to me and, and always has been about European football. Um, I know that I'm swimming against the tide of what every um, elite footballer that you or I or Neil has, has interviewed because they all talk about domestic dominance. But when you get particularly matches with such... Um, excitement and and drama and quality um, and tactical intelligence, as the ones you've talked about. You know, it's just it's it's if there is a heaven in football terms, that was it. Um, I know we're focusing hugely on Paris uh welcoming Real Madrid for the second leg outside Spain, at least. Let me put it like that. I'm I'm not quite sure how much attention was paid to the debate which was sparked after this first leg because clearly the the <clears throat> the the the, the two dimensional view and the headline writers um, joy was about um, Madrid a little bit on the rocks um, looking as if they were in trouble and then um, Ronaldo reacting and 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 steering them into a, in a dominant position Madrid scoring two goals late um, with tactical and personnel changes from Zidane. And then Xavi's saying from Qatar, well, hold on a second. The majority have got it wrong about what's what's good football. Paris Saint-Germain played the better football. Paris Saint-Germain deserved the credit out of the game. It's not always about winning. The key thing is about how do you set up? Um, what do you try to do to the other team? How close to success are you? How how pretty is your, your play? Xavi came very close to using the phrase that all the... Managers around Europe used to use about Jardel, the, the Brazilian Porto striker, about all he does is score goals. And and Xavi very nearly said about Cristiano Ronaldo, well, you know, all he did was nab a couple of goals and, you know, they've they've skidded through and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Xavi's word is usually gospel for me, but that night, and I think you're the same, what I saw was um, something about what's made this time magic, the ingenues. I'm not somebody who resents new money, but when you construct a project because you've got new money, then I'm very hawkish about what decisions you make. And if you introduce, as they did a year and a half ago, Patrick Cliver as your as your as your nerve centre, as as your football brain, as director of football, you look at that decision making and and how long Patrick lasted, and you look at the way in which um, it, it's been a kind of. I hope I use my ornithology correctly here. I sort of if not a jacked on, then maybe a magpie operation where they're collecting shiny things, um, rather than necessarily planning brilliantly, or even um what was the fad for is it slow cooking? Everything's got better flavour if you cook slowly. The the Paris Saint Germain project attracts my attention because they've they've wanted to do things with speed, at high cost, probably with a disregard for um, sufficient foundations, in my opinion, and they're up against a Real Madrid side who are able to do something similar each summer, similar, because the bedrock is very good. And therefore, the, the the attraction of the tie it's not just new v old, it's about a mentality. It's about what does it take to win the big trophies. What does it take to to develop a a winning philosophy, a winning a winning. DNA, yeah, and and that's what's entranced me, particularly with the second leg coming up, Martin.
3: I mean, I, I think looking at the fixture, you would ask yourself, are PSG capable of winning two 0 And I think they are. But you know, you touched on this ferocious Champions League mentality that seems to drive Madrid to these extraordinary heights, and I thought that was exemplified incredibly in that first leg, and and I think that's just what that's what makes it so tantalising. Um, you have this incredibly gifted footballing side, and, and Xavi's right to make those points. But you cannot do any disservice to that um, that mentality that this Madrid the will see, to win, the will to win, that, the intensity, mm. the um, the refusal to accept defeat that Madrid take into these Champions League ties, and it's just that's I think that's just what makes it so tantalising. Yeah
2: we We can all identify that it's there because they've become the first side um to repeat um wins in the champions League they uh have won well i can't listen my earth is not good have they won three out of four they certainly won in 2014 and they've won the last two seasons they're they're now the club with by far the most european cups um in terms of this competition and its trophy. And therefore, when we look at the tie, when we look at that first leg, we can go, yeah, typical. And we can point out the difference between a Paris Saint-Germain side, which is green and which is still rough around the edges and didn't know how to get the job done. Um, Because when it's 1-1 and before uh, Ronaldo and Marcelo score, um, you know, Kimpembe has a free shot goal, which somehow Ramos gets in the way of, the ball comes in from the left and two players launch themselves at the last one at the back post probably the most significant danny alves misses converting the the cross in front of goal by 9 or 10 centimetres. Uh, at which point on a normal night that could very easily have been two away goals or three away goals for paris saint-germain yet um it that bounces off this madrid side um that's something that we can go back and look at that although, although there's been some change of personnel that's a similar attitude that they showed in the final in lisbon against atletico madrid it's a similar attitude they showed in the home leg of the um quarter final last season against bayern munich when they were having dominated the first leg they were very nearly out at home and took it to extra time in an awful game one of the most awful sort of two legged champions league ties um, I'm pretty sure it was the semi-final against Manchester City the previous year. Um, they they got home, irrespective of not having been able to take apart a pretty ordinary, pretty flat Manchester City side. They keep doing it, uh, Martin. But what I'm much more interested in, and I don't pretend to have the answer, is how does that get passed down over the generations? There have been years, obviously, particularly in the old European Cup format between the mid-60s and 1998, and then from... 2002 at Hamden, um, they win in 98, but 2002 at Hamden leaves them then for a number of years in the Champions League unable to get out of the last 16. But across the span of the existence of this trophy and this competition, how is it passed down that this is our trophy, this is our night? In copy, when I write, I keep using the, the Pavlovian phrase, which was the famous experiment that. Dr. Professor Pavlov used about, you know, ringing a bell, particularly in feeding the, the dogs that he had, and therefore when you ring the bell, they're automatically hungry because you condition them in that way. Well, how do you do that about footballers who come to your club because of a high salary or because they like the lifestyle or because they want to be associated with the badge or the history, but you then instill in those who don't already have it that kind of repetitive snarling showtime mentality for this particular tournament look how they do what other teams can't do look how they peak for the champions league look how they get through either by demolishing teams as they did in the build up to 2014 when they went to Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich and trashed them 5-0 on aggregate which was utterly extraordinary with the big win coming in Munich or the other examples I've given where they've you know they've tortoise, tortoise crept over the line cuz the rabbits fallen over when they can do that and other teams cannot, what is wrong with them in that I think they've only retained the Spanish title twice in, I mean, a quarter of a century, retained it, whereas since 2004-05, Barcelona repeat title all the time. You know, it's, it's been one of the great strangleholds on the Spanish title has belonged to Barcelona in the era since Frank Reichardt took over. So there's a complete separation of mentality. And it looks like the current Paris Saint-Germain era because they're so wealthy and because there's a different football infrastructure in France, I'd contend, they're going to experience that repeat title win and they're going to be asked, how do you convert relatively easy, and I want to be careful with that phrase, but moderately easy domestic domination into cutting-edge... Iron jawed hunger in the elite European competition when you've got teams like um, currently Manchester City or tough nuts like Manchester United, routine classy outfits like Barcelona who routine, pardon me, I mean routinely go far in the Champions League. We could go through the rest of the teams, but I've made my point. How how do they do that? And that's what I'd like to be able to understand still more about Real Madrid because you've got a different set of players. You've got They've got different hopes and wishes. They go through different phases of desire because there will be players in that team now, some of whom you can explain a little bit about their erratic domestic form because some of them consciously or otherwise have got their mind on Russia in the summer. Particularly those who are 30 or over are thinking, yeah, the Champions League will be around again next season and I'll be in a squad which could win it. But the World Cup, this might be my last big chance to win the World Cup, not go to it, win it. So there is a mix of things, and so, so how does the dominant factor of we will win this Champions League get passed down from group to group, generation to generation? It attracts me as a as a as a concept and as a success. And the one time I've definitely I've seen it at Juventus under Lippi, you know, when they went from probably I think about 92 two three until nineteen ninety nine in the semi final, and they weren't knocked out of. Um, Europe, I think they either um, went out on, they were never knocked out in 90 minutes, they either went out on extra time in semi-finals or they lost a the final but effectively they weren't eliminated from Europe for about, six. or they won the title for six or seven years until that semi-final. But the team that knocked them out, they're the ones that I most identify with this Madrid thing. Under Ferguson, irrespective of the group of players, irrespective of his three great eras, somehow he injected or imprinted an aggression and a competitive mentality uh a unity in in each group as one succeeded the other or the players did that to each other and that same competitive ferocious angry sometimes hunger was was passed across 90, you know from around 92 3 blooming well right up to <clears throat> 20 11, at least, which was extraordinary. But somehow Madrid do that too. There may, people may be screaming at their, at their podcast earphones right now. I can name you another ear or another team. I'm not just talking about success, three in a row. I'm talking about handing something down sort of preternaturally across 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. I find that extraordinary.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
3: I mean, that conditioning that you talk about there, um, I thought was written all over Ronaldo's face in that first leg. Um, he's a guy that I find fascinating because I think his body language in, in some ways is quite misleading. At times, he's got this kind of, would you say, like a kind of preening style and he's very demonstrative when things don't go his way and he gets a lot of criticism for that. But that kind of burning intensity, that that sort of refusal to accept defeat... Um, I suppose the willingness to accept responsibility when pressure's at its most intense, the ability to deliver, you know, slamming home that penalty, um and then reacting brilliantly um for the second goal. I I think if Madrid get through on Tuesday, um I I feel Ronaldo is is going to have a big say in them getting there.
2: You put your finger on an issue which is that you know, I wouldn't claim to spend much time around him or to know him intimately, but I have spent enough time around him to to say that what's caught my attention is is this real uh contradiction. That's the word I wanted to use. I was seeking it. Like for example, outside the pitch, he cares more about what people think about him than almost any footballer I've ever seen. I I've been at a, a filming session with him. My colleagues have been at a filming session with him where it's like did I do that right? Is everything just perfect? How does it look? Do we need to do it again? His marketing image, his looks, his degree of, his wish for control, but also the fact that he is very witty. I th- I find him very intelligent. You said preening. I- I'm not a fan of the degree of control he wants to exert over his image, his marketing power, Um the 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 face that he wants to present in his film where it was a very controlled, sort of in almost in-house exercise. I, I, I'm not being critical, but it's just not my taste in people or, or sportsmen. Yet on the pictures you're seeing, he doesn't give a shit what people think about his reactions. His demonstrative gesturing, the anger or the joy that's written all over his face, his stupid C when he scores you know, he just he doesn't give a flying fox about w- what you see, what you think of me. It's all out there. And to me, like you, that's all bubbling up from this internal core of lava about, I think there's a division between, I don't think he's saying, if I score, if I win, if I'm the main man, my marketing career will be better. My, my, my brand and my worth will be better. This is his self-worth that he's talking about. In non-financial terms, I think his entire image of himself and belief in himself and his self-confidence is wrapped up in winning. So he spent something like 13 or 14 years telling people, I want to ensure that I'm regarded as the, the greatest footballer ever. He, he's never said, I am. He wants to create that feeling in, in those who judge him. And the fact that he'll never get there is to me is secondary from one being driven by that goal and two being happy to admit it it's very It's a very American thing he's got going there um so like you on 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 that evening of the first leg where he he gets the chance from the penalty spot having missed two really big chances and he buries it and when Asensio's ball comes in and it's like a wicketkeeper taking a difficult catch and you sort of girdle the ball and you juggle it and suddenly it's in the gloves. That little raise of his knee and his thigh going, I've seen it, I'll get something on it. That's what he hadn't been doing for the majority of the season. That 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 extraordinary coordination, um, muscle memory, eye to ball, foot to ball thing that has made him great because he is a great um, I hadn't been there. So, for it to, to to come in that moment was about not just muscle memory, but some sort of inbuilt psychological victory memory. This is the moment. It's the showtime moment. It's what makes, it's, what, it's part of what makes greats great. And therefore, um, I, I, I really loved it. I, I, and I, I owe nothing to Ronaldo. I haven't seen this because I want an interview of him. I want, you know, the sunshine of his smile or any of that shit. Um, I feel like you. <clears throat> whether whether really he inspires me like um a Chavi does or Leo Messi does, or I, I probably feel more passion and warmth towards a, a footballer like Sergio Ramos. But my admiration, like you, for Ronaldo and the expectation that he can again produce something special in the Parc de Prince is is yeah, is right up there. And 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 frankly. I'll be I'll be unless Paris Saint-Germain lay into Real Madrid and meritoriously beat them I'll be perfectly happy if Real Madrid go through.
3: There's a great line in the Paul Clement podcast we did a couple of years ago where he, he talks about when they're coming down the tunnels before the Champions League final 2014, and Paul Clement is actually quite taken aback by the you know the stage, and he has this kind of short.
2: Well, you were there with yeah. me when he said it, and, and his his face went into that r- remembering mode, and he really was yeah, taking mean, He aback, had this kind of he? sharp
3: and take a breath, and so much so that Ronaldo, who was standing in front of him just ready to go out onto the pitch, kind of turned around and, and sort of tapped Paul Clement in the shoulder and said, "Don't worry, Paul. You know I've got this." type thing and I thought it was a fantastic insight into uh, Ren-
2: it was just short of there <laughs> yeah, there kid don't exactly, worry daddy's here big
3: players for big occasions that's you know you've called Ronaldo
2: you're on a roll here because you you you. that's what you think you yeah, saw think, isn't you know,
3: it you called him a great and I think Ronaldo is indisputably a great uh, and I think it would have been fascinating if you had a, a player cam on Ronaldo and a player cam on Neymar in the last tie to see the difference in body language and, and I thought just Ronaldo exuded that leadership um, and uh, responsibility, um, particularly in that in that second half. And and I, I think if they go through on Tuesday, then I think there'll be something special there from Ronaldo.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you've identified. I mean, you 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 spot the body language, and that's fair. And, and particularly, I think it's easy be to, easy be to be drawn into comparisons because Neymar, you know, can can. Usually has just two settings on the body language, you know, ultra Peter Pan joy about being able to glide over the pitch without touching the green stuff, and being able to do things with the ball that the idiots can't, or, you know, kind of sulky spoiled kid who's who's dummy's fallen out of the pram. Now, I I prefer footballers with you know a different grade of settings of body language, but that's not really what we're here to talk about, is it? You're using that as emblematic of of what kind of footballer, what kind of man Neymar is. In that, you know, as an Olympic gold winner, and he really ran his team through that tournament. As somebody who, whose absence derailed Brazil's chances of winning the World Cup at home as hosts. As somebody who's won the Champions League, as somebody who, the players he left behind at Barcelona, you know, like and, and respect to a degree too. I would still be highly critical of him. I have to say he's got nothing, nothing. He's got not enough of what we've just been talking about in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo. That rigid, I will make everything of my talent. I will make everything of every training session. I I won't go off the beaten track. You know, Ronaldo, to, to my understanding, has a probably one sort of big defiant late night um, the, the, it's not even a blemish to his career. I think it was his 30th birthday. Um, they'd just been pumped by Atleti in the derby at the Calderon. The night out was planned. There was a singer coming. Everybody stayed out late. The press said, you know, you blotted your copy book because Madrid fans are irate at you. And other than that, you won't find another time where he hasn't been fully prepared to train, where he's where he's missed training, where, you know, like like Neymar, you know, consistently does well, it's my sister's birthday I'll need the day off and if you're not giving me the day off there'll be something wrong with me so I think it's the last you know four or five uh, of his sister's birthdays that for one reason or another he hasn't trained or he's missed a match and that's a really small um, example of of the ways in which his attitude is I'm I'm absolutely great things will come my way I will win trophies It'll be fine. So it's not like, you know, Jim Baxter or Jimmy Johnson rowing off into the Atlantic mentalness. It's complacency, which Ronaldo, whatever flaws he has, almost never shows complacency. And if the if you could DNA inject some of Ronaldo's Rigidity about my standards will not drop in order that I can be the best that I can be because I think that will allow me to be regarded as the best ever. If you could take some of that and inject it in a sort of Cronenberg-style horror show, Jeff Goldblum idea into in Neymar, you'd you'd have something. You'd have somebody who'd be a who good deal more muscular than he is. You'd have somebody who trains better, who drinks less, and who wins more. I
3: mean, it's interesting um, reflecting on the PSG side of things as well because I don't want us to sound as if we're being negative about um, about their situation at the moment. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching them in the Champions League this year. Some of their performances have been incredible. Um, we're we are editing a book at the moment which is a great interview with Roberto Martinez and he's talking about his Belgian team's chances in the summer, but he talks about this mental barrier that teams have to break through um, to achieve success, and he compares it to Spain uh, pre-2008, where they have this great um, generation of talent, but they they don't manage to just get over that mental barrier and bust through it and then become the team that they they should be. so, I mean that's obviously a challenge for his his Belgian team in the summer uh, Spain managed to break through that in two thousand and eight, and you just wonder if there's something there with with p s g as well um yeah but
2: there is but but i mean you you it's a brilliant point, and again we haven't talked about this before, but I love it because you know I spoke to several of those players and we're relating all of this to Paris and germain not not back telling the story we're we're you know we're trying to um look at. How does this happen in players or groups of players? And one of the, the big things was that group of players with Spain, just as Paris Saint-Germain need to, one, get over the fact that as a, as a squad, as a group, and, and their manager too, they've never won the Champions League. Individually, one or two of them have, but and irrespective of um, two Europa Leagues for Unai Emery, they, they just hadn't done the course. So that's, that's always a test for any individual or any group of athletes. Secondly, anybody who disregards the psychological, mental scarring of having been 4-0 up on Barcelona, never mind. You know, it wasn't 4-0 up on fucking Stoubucharist or Doncaster. You're 4-0 up on on Barcelona. It it could have been 6 in the first leg. It easily could have been. And then you go and lose 6-1 in whatever circumstances and you know you've gone into the camp now not really believing because that was evident from... Really, from the first chances that Barcelona created, that mental scar is there. And then you, 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 you go to the Bernabéu and you play well. You take the lead; it's a deserved lead. You carve out plenty of chances. You're at least in the game, probably dominant. And on another night, you 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 draw two two, or you win three two, etc. Relating to your concept that Roberto Martinez mentioned to you. It was it was a it was a it was a process. It wasn't like a collective revelation one night. Once once Luis Aragonez slagged off Bastian Schweinsteiger or started calling individual Spain players by funny names or roaring at them. It it, it happened bit by bit. It happened when Rijkaard moved chavi into a different position and Chavi said, "Well, I, I don't think I can manage this position. I, I'm not able for it." Rijkaard said, "You are. Try it." And Xavi balked at that, found he could, and changed. Iniesta's moment was winning 1-0 at Old Trafford against England. That was the moment he said he felt that Spain could achieve something rather than continually being patted on the head patronisingly and told, you're really nice players, but you're, you're fuck all use like your chocolate teapots. These things accumulate, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm... Win, lose or draw, um, this Tuesday is one of those experiences for Paris Saint-Germain as a club, for Paris Saint-Germain as a sporting squad, um, for what will, I think, unless he eliminates Madrid, will undoubtedly be O'Neill Emery's last season in charge. That This is one of those moments where no matter whether you go through or not, you accumulate DNA, you accumulate a personality. People learn from it. The sports director learns. The physios learn. The fans learn. The journalists learn. That certain of the players who will stay on next season. The owners. It is a massive thing for that club. If if this were a microscopic podcast simply about Paris Saint-Germain, we wouldn't only be talking about do they win or don't they win. And therefore, um, that mental barrier is definitely there. It It, it probably... Should be something that that can be dissipated. If you look at the individual winning mentalities of people like Dani Alves or Cavani, if you look at the winning mentality, is true of Mbappe as as young as he is. If you look at what he managed to do at youth levels with Monaco and with France, if I, I think so highly of Verratti, although I think he was tempted to leave, that across the 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 squad, there are, there are players there. Michael Di Maria, I still retain an enormous affection for, irrespective of his relative failure at Manchester United. He is he's quite a complicated person, but he's a phenomenal competitor, phenomenal footballer, deeply, deeply underrated in England because of what happened in his time there, that he, he didn't fit, that it didn't click. In I, I would go so far as to say that anybody who says... Paris San German are outright better off without a player of Neymar's talent, then is talking rubbish. But is it possible that there could be a cohesion, a fit, a unity, a team spirit, which is now better without Neymar and because Angel Di Maria will play in, in his stead? I think that's feasible. I think that when... I remember you learn throughout your career, and I remember going into the 1999 Camp Nou final in the Champions League, thinking, well, with no um, Keane and no Scholes, and with Beckham in central midfield, and and I think it was was it Blomquist playing on the wing, and, and one 0 down, I thought, well, there's your killer blow. That's that's what happens when your two key engine room players aren't there, and you're you're in a big tension final where you can't get going, you're knackered, and it, and, yeah, it, it was wrong. Something about spirit or attitude or talent or whether it, it was a blessed moment, they came through. And there are umpteen other examples of if a star player is out, there's no way that means that you can't win. And sometimes it has a catalytic effect in your favour. So, uh, you know, and and I look at... Again, you and I talked about one of the sideshows, but to me it's interesting is Zidane coming back to the capital of his nation? Um, He retired from international football in 2006 since when I don't think he's had a competitive occasion in the city where his two goals um, against Brazil in the World Cup final of 1998 changed France in, in social terms, in sporting terms, certainly changed the world's perception of France. I was on the Champs-Élysées that night, uh, walking back from the stadium that night, whereby it, it was a funny uh, rainbow effect because there was this um, push amongst people to say, and, and there was some evidence of it, that this was a unifying factor in society between um, the French Arab population, the, the black French pop- population, the the white French, the, a, a rejection by some Uh, Liberals of whatever color skin um, against Le Pen and the politics of hate and division. Yeah, I also saw uh, young black men from the the peripheries of um, Paris where they felt they were disenfranchised. There was no hope, no job. Still rioting that night, still fighting that night. You know, it didn't change this French Arab scoring two goals in a World Cup final in the Stade de France, didn't didn't wave a magic wand. And I think that over the years, France and Zidane have had quite equivocal feelings about each other. And here he comes now, leading Real Madrid back to, I don't know if, I don't think France considers Paris Saint-Germain as the French project. I, I really don't. But it's, it's interesting that it's Zidane who... Against odds in his career or even when he behaved badly, notably getting sent off in in a variety of guises against Saudi Arabia in the early rounds of 98 for Juventus, particularly in the Champions League against Hamburg um, in the World Cup final of of 2006 in Germany, irrespective of that that, um, temper, that anger, that street uh, education, which some would say blighted his career. I don't. I, I love stuff like that. He was a winner. He, he 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 embodied everything that Paris Saint-Germain need to inject themselves with. And there will be, in my view, irrespective of the fact that Zidane is a young coach, to some extent an unproven coach, irrespective of his trophies, there'll be people who own Paris Saint-Germain who'll be looking at him and thinking, is that our next step? And this isn't a market gossip. They'll be looking at Dan and saying, look at his knowledge, look at his background, look at his attitude, look what again, if you could bottle him up and 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 draw DNA from his sporting psychology and, and inject it into the infrastructure at Paris Saint-Germain, they'd be better off. So to me it's fascinating to, to watch him go to Parc de Prince. Um it'll be, he, was, he was obviously um, a Bordeaux and a, and a Marseille player principally he played for other French teams PSG wasn't his team it's the sec- it's the team in his playing career he only played against one club more regularly than against Paris Saint-Germain his last trip as a player to the Parc de France was a 6-1 win there which doesn't hold a great deal of uh, relevance for Tuesday night but it is it is the return of France's footballing king well above Eric Cantona, to the heart of the nation, to this strange project. And again, that will draw my eye, particularly seeing as, through stubborn faith and, and one-on-one counselling, um, Zidane has, has kind of got the elixir back in in Karim Benzema, another notable French talent that he's taking back that night, who I think, if your contention that Ronaldo is going to play a big role in putting Romeroon through, Ronaldo is a better player with Benzema's ingenuity and link play and willingness to be like in the Tour de France, the domestique to the team leader. And he really does that brilliantly. And in the last three, four weeks, we've seen a Benzema again, who's a joy to watch. And it's a big, big challenge to him coming back to play competitively in a nation where the the national coaches abandoned Benzema, where, Benzema has accused the French Federation of—he's used the word that he's been, you know, prejudiced against racially. So these sideshows might not dictate how the ninety minutes go, but they will build into the collective psyche of the people involved in the game, and for that reason, it's it's all the more fascinating. <laughs> To hear the full Kevin Caban interview and get all of our content ad-free, it's time for you to join us to become what we call a socio. This month, March, Socios will also get my Barca Chelsea mini documentary and when you sign up now, you'll also unlock our archive of seven socio-only big interviews dating back to Raphael van der Vaart last August. For just £2.99 per month, you'll also know you're supporting this independent football podcast. More at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thank you to all our socios. We do need your help in order to keep doing this. And bloody hell, it's fun.